Have you ever heard the expression, follow the money? You ever heard that? Follow the money. Well, what we mean by that expression is that many times the actions of people have an ulterior motive, and that often involves money and the power that comes with it. Now, I've, I, I, I've, uh, I get up in the morning, and, you know, everybody has a little routine. Y'all have a routine when you get up, you know, and I get up, and, you know, and I, after I, you know, shower and get dressed, I go down, and I, I fix my coffee, and, uh, you know, my wife has coffee for me, and then I usually fix a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit or some sausage egg. I, I do, got to where I'm pretty good at that, and... Uh, and I like that. I do, and then I sit down for about just maybe 15 minutes and catch a moment of leave it to Beaver or or some news or so, just a little something while I while I do that. And I want to tell you that I have never seen so many advertisements for class action suits as I do today. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, is, do y'all see that on your screen? I mean, it. It's, it's a, lot of, a lot of that, I mean, a lot of advertisements for that, of, of uh, people that have been affected by something at some point in their past, and they're sick from it, and there's nothing wrong uh, with, with that if there's been, you know, some uh, injustice there. But I'm just saying I see more of it today, that more lawsuits and things like that than I've ever seen before suing companies and the government or whatever. And then, not only that, but more so today than I think at, uh, that I know, at any time in my life, there's more corruption in high places today than I've ever seen. Never seen anything like it in my, in my whole life. There's more corruption on the community level, on the state level, on the uh, or, or the federal level, it's just more and more corruption in leadership. I've seen that. And when you go back through all the things that are going on and they investigate things and you see, you know what it, a lot of it comes down to? Follow the money. Follow the money. It has to do with money and the power that comes from it that is what is often behind the actions of people today. Now, as we continue our study of God's grace at work through the Apostle Paul, I want to see today the tale of two men. Paul, who through the grace of God transformed life for the good, and Demetrius, who used his skills and influence for selfish and ungodly purposes. So while we're looking at this passage of Scripture today, I want us to ask ourselves a question. Which one of these men are we most like? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, if you're willing and able, I know you stood for a while, but let's honor God's Word one more time. Let's stand, and if, we, if we can, and if we're able. And let me read a, couple verses, a few verses of Scripture as we look at Acts chapter 19, and I continue the message series on transforming grace. I'll begin in verse 21. When these things were accomplished, we'll talk about those in a moment, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia 
to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul is finishing his third missionary journey. He wants to go back to Jerusalem and then ultimately to Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, in Ephesus, there arose a great commotion about the way. Remember, Christians, Christianity was called the way, and Christians were people of the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation. He said, men, you know that we have, that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world would worship. And when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. Let's just stop with that for a moment, and we'll look more at this and study the rest of this chapter. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Our hearts have been stirred as we have thought about your power and about your love and your grace. And Lord, we stand in need of it today. We stand in need of your mercy. For we know we've all failed you, Lord, at some point in our lives. There might be people listening right now, and they are far from you. Father, I pray today would be, that this would be a day when we all come closer, when we are drawn closer by your Holy Spirit to your precious in wonderful presence when we might experience what you want for us now in our future. And Father, I pray today as we think about this, which one of these men are we like? I pray, God, that we will be faithful, devoted servants of Jesus. And that will be our, not only our goal, but our commitment. And I pray that we might help others Come to know the Savior who has transformed our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Transforming grace. Now, when we last saw Paul, he was in Ephesus preaching the gospel and turning the hearts of many to the Lord Jesus. Without cars, planes, or cruise ships, Paul traveled hundreds of miles to, to preach the gospel because he was passionate about his Savior. And he wanted everyone to know the transforming power of God's grace through Jesus Christ. I want to put up a map and show you where we are today. And if you look in, I don't think my little pointer is working right now. I don't see that working, but I want you to look right up in the very center of this map. And you see Ephesus there. And if you look at all those red arrows, this is how far the Apostle Paul traveled, hundreds of miles. I mean, he's, he's traveling all of these miles, uh, taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus everywhere he went. And he ends up now, he's, he's in Ephesus. Ephesus. In Ephesus, God was doing miraculous things among the people at the hands of Paul. God was setting Paul apart 
as His appointed messenger and minister of His grace. Through Paul, many lives were being transformed. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 19. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. There was so much of the Holy Spirit of God in Paul that even his clothing was anointed. Pieces of cloth that had touched his body were healing diseases and causing demons to flee. This was a man who loved God, who had devoted his life to the Lord Jesus so that everywhere he went, his Savior would be glorified. It was this heart, this selfless motive that caused Paul to be filled with and used by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is where our power is found. The power we have in this life is not in our wisdom or knowledge or ability, but in the Holy Spirit who has come to live within us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. And what was that price? It was the blood of Jesus. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, His eternal life comes into our mortal lives through His Holy Spirit. His life within us transforms our bodies into His temples from our bodies. Our minds, our our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, our voices... Through this temple of the Holy Spirit, Jesus does the same work He did when He walked on the earth. What He did then, He wants to do now to help and heal and love and save. Like Paul, we minister in the temple of the Holy Spirit and through us, God transforms lives because of Paul's unselfish love and service for Jesus. Verse 20 says of Acts 19, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The gospel, which was powerfully working in Ephesus, began to reach out, began to spread. As believers came to know Christ in Ephesus and they began to to go to other cities and provinces, Paul sent two of his friends, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia to encourage the believers to preach the gospel there. The Holy Spirit, who was working mightily through Paul, would also be in Timothy and with Timothy and Erastus to do a great work in other parts of the world. And the transforming power of the gospel would continue to spread, as Jesus said, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Look at verses 21 22. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who had ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So Paul stayed in Ephesus. He stayed behind to continue the mighty work of God in Ephesus. But after a while, with such great things going on, 
As he always does when God is at work, Satan rears his ugly head. Now, let's remember Ephesus was a pagan city with many people who worshipped the Greek false gods and Roman false gods. They had built temples to their false gods, one of which was the temple to the goddess Artemis or Diana, a building so beautiful, so magnificent, that it numbered among the seven wonders of the ancient world. Many people were involved in the worship of this false goddess. Many people ministered in her behalf, including a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith. Let's look at verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man, man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. This city of Ephesus was a center of pagan worship for the goddess Artemis, or the Romans called her Diana. Each year, a special week in the spring was dedicated to the worship of Artemis or Diana. It was the week called Artemisian, Artemisian. And in a solemn processional during Artemisian, the image of Diana was carried through the streets from the theater, the great theater that held 24, 25,000 people to the temple, the magnificent temple. Throughout the week, there were plays and dances in honor of Artemis or Diana. There were 33 shrines to the mother goddess all throughout the Roman Empire. But Ephesus was considered the center of her worship. From all over the Roman Empire, pilgrims flocked to Ephesus, bringing their offerings to the temple. In fact, the temple became so wealthy that it served as a bank, receiving deposits and making loans. Like the worship of other false gods, people purchased idols or silver plaques containing the image of Diana to take home with them. Followers of Diana would set these images in their homes, these statues or these plaques, and build an altar or shrine in their homes as a place of worship. The shrines which Demetrius made could have been miniature replicas of the temple, or it could have been metal or limestone statues of Diana. Archaeologists have unearthed one of the statues from the second century. i show you a picture of it. This was one of the statues found and used in the, the false worship of this false goddess, this hideous-looking creature called Artemis by the Greeks, Diana by the Romans, worshipped as the cosmic mother, called the Savior 
by, by her followers. The goddess of fertility in all nature. People set these idols up in their homes. They bowed before them in worship. This was what Demetrius made. He made them of silver. He was a silversmith. He ministered to the false goddess Diana and led people to worship this false god through his pagan images. That's what he put, that's what put Demetrius in conflict with Paul. Paul's message of the gospel of Jesus Christ ran contrary to the religion of Demetrius and those Ephesian silversmiths. Paul was preaching that there are not many gods but one God who cannot be formed with human hands. The very first uh, two commandments God gave his people in the Ten Commandments are, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. The Greeks and Romans had many different gods and worshipped their idols. In Ephesus, they worshipped an image of Diana that was made, uh, carved from a meteor that fell from the sky over Ephesus. They believed this stone had been sent to them from Zeus so that they might worship Artemis or Diana. As long as Ephesus remained such a center of false worship, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen would have a very profitable business. However, if the people stopped worshiping Diana, their business would suffer. So when Paul began preaching the true gospel of the one true God and people began to accept the God who had made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ, Demetrius felt the pain. He realized that his money supply was in jeopardy and he had to do something to stop Paul, and he had to do it fast. So Satan stirred up his heart within him, stirred up his greed and his anger, and that anger stirred him, and that greed stirred him to speak against Paul and his message of transforming grace. And he, because with Demetrius, you have a man who was ministering for a false goddess, who was teaching that this goddess was the source of not only pleasure, but good, but good things in life. Whereas Paul was preaching about a Savior who could give them forgiveness, mercy, love, good blessings in this life, but then could, would, would give them eternal life where they could dwell with Him forever. What's the better thing to choose? Is it Diana of the Ephesians, or is it Jesus? Of course, we know the answer to that because we've experienced, you and I have experienced his greatness, his goodness. Demetrius and Paul came head to head because of what Demetrius said to his fellow craftsmen. This trade of ours is in danger of falling into disrepute. In essence, he was saying, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business and we are getting ready to lose it 
So we better get rid of that Paul and his message fast. Demetrius stirred up the crowd and they became vicious. Look at verses 28 and 29. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath, those fellow tradesmen, fellow silversmiths. And they cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus. Now I want to just stop. I want to stop right there. Look in the center of that verse of those verses there. So the whole city was filled with what? Confusion. Now the scriptures tell us that God is not the author of confusion. So if God is not the author of confusion, who's the author of it? Satan, your enemy. Your enemy, the devil. Friends, when God wants you to do something, he speaks loudly and clearly. When God has a purpose for you and he, he's trying to direct your life, God is going to speak by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself and his ways to you. God wants you to know what his will is for your life. And he is not going to leave you in confusion. But when you hear all these voices, different voices, they get louder and louder. They, they're all around you, but they're saying different things. That's confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. Who's the author of confusion? Satan, the devil, your enemy. So listen to God. Listen to God. What God tells you one time, God will continue to tell you because God doesn't change his mind. What God wants for you, which is a perfect, he has a perfect plan for your life. God knows everything that's going to happen in your life today. Sometimes things don't, I know that he, we were talking about that in the Sunday school office this morning. I know God loves me, but everything doesn't work, everything Everything is not rosy for me all the time, you know. I know God loves me, but I have problems. Everybody has problems. Bad things happen. But God's purpose is not just looking at what's happening in this little circle right now. God looks at things for eternity's sake, for his kingdom's sake. And the things, sometimes the things that you have to go through right now are, are designed to strengthen your faith. It's a test of faith. Will you stay with God? You remember that Old Testament person that had such a test of faith? I mean, there was a lot of them, but there was one that lost everything. Do you remember his name? What was his name? Anybody? Job? You remember Job? He lost everything. And it was a test to see how much Job loved God and how far he would go with God if, God, if everything were taken away from him. And by the way, God didn't take everything away from him. Do you know who did? Satan did. God just allowed some things to happen in Job's life. But in the end, do you know what God did? God blessed Job tenfold from what he had. I mean, more than he ever had. God blessed Job. Friends, sometimes you're going to be going through life, and you're not going to understand why things are happening the way they are. And life's going to be tough. It wasn't easy for Jesus, was it? It wasn't easy for Paul. So why should we expect rosy paths all the time? If we're going to get to heaven, if Jesus has prepared heaven for us and we're on our way to heaven, the path to heaven is not going to always be an easy path. You Remember what, God, what Jesus said about it? Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that find that way because 
It's the easiest way. And they follow the money. And they follow the power. And they follow the things of this life. And the shrines that are set up for them. We'll talk about some shrines in a few moments. And they follow those things. They follow those false gods all the way to destruction. But straight is the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Because it's a hard way. And friends, if you're going to live for Jesus, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, the, we're, it's getting harder and harder for Christians, don't you think so? It's getting hard. It's going to get harder because we're nearing the time our Lord is going to return. He's coming back. The God of angel armies is coming back and He's going to conquer this world. But as we get close, guess what? Just like in Ephesus, Satan's going to work harder. He's working harder. If you feel like you're getting hit hard, He's still working hard. He's going to work harder. But remember this. You can remember God's promise. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's a promise of God. He is is great. The Holy Spirit's greater in you. And He can get you through. Now, Now, so Demetrius worked the crowd up into a frenzy. A lot of people didn't even know what was happening. But they were carried away with the rest of the crowd, so that a riot ensued. And they seized Paul's two friends. Yeah, we've seen riots, right? You know, on TV and the news and all that. And what do you see? You see, you see some people that are really instigators of it, and then what else do you see? You see kind of some people that are just kind of drawn into that thing. They don't even know why they're there, you see. And that's what happened in that uh, they're still, you know, they're, they're, they're still part of that riot, that mob, but They don't even know, they're confused because Satan does that. And this riot ensued and they seized Paul's two friends, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they dragged them into the theater. Do you know who Gaius and Aristarchus were? They were our our fellow laborers. They were our brothers. They were Christians. Christians. Believers. And because they were believers and for no other reason, just because they were Christians... They were dragged into the theater. It was pandemonium, chaos, as people were shouting over one another, most of the people not even knowing why they were there. One thing they could agree upon, though, the angry mob, great is Diana of the Ephesians. That was their war chant. Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen, they were the core of a mob filling that 25,000-seat theater hoping to put pressure on the city authorities to take action against Paul and this new Christian movement, the way. Paul wanted to go to the theater and try to intervene on behalf of Gaius and Aristarchus. But God didn't want that. The other disciples begged him to stay away from this angry mob. We see it in verses 30 and 31. And when Paul Paul wanted to go into, into the people, the theater, where his, where his beloved friends were standing falsely accused. When Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Even some of those influential aristoc- aristocrats, leaders, tried to protect Paul, which indicates that Christianity was not at the time viewed as a threat to the Diana worship, and also that, that Roman leaders tried to help Paul 
reveals the length to which the Holy Spirit had transformed lives across the Roman Empire. Folks, there were some good leaders. Do you know something? There's some good leaders today. They are good leaders. I get emails from them sometime. I read them. I'm so blessed that we have some godly leaders. That's what I'm praying for, that God will raise up godly men and women, Christian men and women, who will lead our nation again. That's what we need. But this in Ephesus was an out-of-control situation, and the Lord did not want His servant Paul in the middle of that mob. Verse 32. Look at it. Look what was happening in that theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had even come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice, they cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. While most of the Ephesians did not even know why they were there, they did know it had something to do with the teaching that there was one God and that, for, and, both, and that both the Jews and Christians agreed on that, one God. So the mob worked into a frenzy by Demetrius, did not want to hear anything from the Christians or the Jews. When Alexander, the Jew, a, a Jew, tried to express his Jewish point of view, the crowd chanted for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians, for two hours. What a good example of the difference between the gospel and the cultural religions of this world. The lies of a misguided culture cannot stand against the calm and clear proclamation of the gospel. When confronted with the truth, the lies of an out-of-control culture can only cry out louder and louder to try and drown out the transforming words of Christ and His people. To a godless culture, Christianity is a threat because it exposes what is not true in a culture so it might cleanse it and transform it. Satan knows the power of the gospel, folks. That's why he wants to keep you away from it. That's why he wants to keep you away from hearing the word, the powerful word of God. And today, Satan continues to confuse the crowd. He continued, he continued to confuse the crowd in Ephesus, but then a calm voice of authority spoke, one which demanded respect. It silenced the crowd, the leader of the city, who presided over the city council of magistrates and the public assemblies. We might call him the mayor or the city clerk. Provided some clear thinking to the situation. Notice what he said, verse 35. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple? Is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. The city leader assured the Ephesians that neither their worship of Diana nor their magnificent temple was any, were in any real danger, 
The two men they had seized, Gaius and Aristarchus, had committed no crimes. And therefore, this uproar must stop. The city clerk was the liaison between the city and the Roman appointed leaders. And they did not want this disturbance to alert and displease the Roman proconsul. Doing so could result in the loss of their self-governing privileges. So the man, the leader, pointed out that if Demetrius and his followers had a grievance, they should take it to the court in the proper way. Verse 38, Therefore, if Demetrius, notice what he said, Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The city leader had made an important point. Demetrius accused Paul of being a danger to the city, but the real danger was the unusual behavior of the Ephesians. The Greeks and Romans considered themselves to be a wise and civilized people, a religious people, yet they wanted Paul's blood. They, they would have killed him for the sake of their gods. And behind it all was the selfish motives of a man named Demetrius who was following the money. Folks, let me tell you something. When I look at the, the situation in our world today and the evil that's taking place, and the corruption that we see in high levels of leadership, I, I believe we can almost always follow the money to find the origin of the evil. Today, we're more prosperous than we've ever been in our history, and yet people are more hungry for power and, the, and wealth than they ever have been. Dr. William Larkin, Jr. wrote, an, wrote a really pointed uh, made a really pointed comment in his Acts commentary. Listen to what he said. At the very center of each culture is a religion, whether sacred or secular, expressed in a set of myths of origin, power, and destiny. These, in turn, spawn the culture's worldview, which generates social structures and behavior patterns. Paul's message here shakes Ephesian, indeed Greco-Roman culture, to its very core by showing one of its religious power centers, the Artemis cult, for what it is, nothing. In that sense, it does mean the death of the culture, as it, as it does for any culture today with its gods, whether they be tradi a traditional pantheon of tribal deities or the media and educational icons of secular humanism. Folks, let me tell you something. I believe America is becoming more and more like Ephesus every day. In our day, there are many like Demetrius building several silver shrines to their gods that are taking people away from the one true God. Maybe you've heard of some of those shrines that are being built today. Can you just think with me about things that people are using and saying that are drawing people away from God? The shrine of entertainment, the shrine to science, the shrine to abortion, the shrine to race, the shrine to sexual orientation, the shrine to climate change. Men are building shrines to these and other ideas that are taking people, people's focus away from the one true God and the worship of God. People will hold political rallies and they'll fill stadiums. People will have sporting events and they will fill stadiums. But people will have church services and not many people come. That's because people are worshiping 
at the shrines made like by men like Demetrius who are saying to you you must pledge they're demanding that you pledge your allegiance to what they're promoting above everything else they are making these secular things a religion and demanding that you substitute their ideals for your antiquated worship of God. And folks, they're succeeding. I hate to say it. I know they're succeeding in America because America has become a divided nation and now Christianity is in the minority. And Christian values are being trampled. Trampled. What was founded as a nation of life and respect for life it's turned into a nation where people are divided over the murder of babies, friends. We were never a nation designed to be a nation of God-haters. We are supposed to be one nation under God, aren't we? One, are we? One nation under God. A nation whose laws were influenced by God's law. A nation whose founders prayed and sought the help of God. John Adams said our Constitution was made... Only for a moral and religious people, it's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. The farther we move away from God, the less our Constitution means, the less dear our individual liberties. This, the more a person leaves God out of his life, the more, the more he dismisses as important the worship of God, then the less the First Amendment right to worship means to him. There are many like... Demetrius, who would love to take away our rights to proclaim the truth of Jesus, that he, the only Savior, died on the cross for our sins, to offer us forgiveness, and then he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Folks, the gospel is not just good news. It's God's promise to save all who receive Jesus. It is his law of grace. And if you don't respect God's law, then why would you respect any other law? We saw it. We've seen it happen in recent days. According to CBN News, during the, the recent pandemic, Canadian authorities targeted churches throughout the country, arresting and jailing pastors, levying large fines against congregations, and shuttering houses of worship. I, I received an email from one. The police had put a fence around the church building and locked it down. In June of 2021, Tim Stevens, the pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in southeast Calgary, was arrested for holding church services and flouting pandemic health orders. Disturbing footage was shared online showing Stevens being hauled into a police cruiser as his terrified children looked on sobbing uncontrollably. Folks, we felt some of this pain. But there is so much persecution of Christians around the world. And again, the farther we move away from worshiping the one true God... The closer we become, the closer we come to being like Ephesus, a center for pagan worship, for injustice, where believers can be targeted in silence. Friends, if a person's not worshiping God, he's worshiping at one of the shrines made by a modern-day Demetrius. And let's, let's get to the root of it. Demetrius was not really concerned for the honor of the goddess Diana. He was really concerned about his own power and fortune. And let me tell you what I believe, just as it was in Ephesus there are people in our day like Demetrius who are getting rich and powerful from the people who are following their message and worshiping at their shrines. And that's why I keep saying Christians have got to stand up and have a voice in this country again. We've got to start paying attention to what's happening. And we have to, get, we have to start electing godly people to lead us. And, and, and Christians have got to start going back to church and forming a mighty army of people of faith, 
Christians have got to start speaking out and making their voices heard, especially through a vote. We cannot keep voting people into office who are like Demetrius, who are building temples to worship everything that's contrary to the word and the will of God. How long can we remain a powerful and blessed nation if we keep turning our backs on God and following the people like Demetrius in this world? It's time to do what Paul did. And those other believers did. They continued to proclaim the name of Jesus. Their faith was not private. Their faith was not silent. Their faith was heard loud and clear. The faith and message of Paul and those Christians in Ephesus made a transforming difference in the lives of those who heard them and believed. And those people stopped buying into the silver shrines of Demetrius. The reason he was so angry at Paul and Gaius and Aristarchus is because the message of God's grace shut him down and threatened to shut down the whole idea of this pagan goddess Diana. I know it's a long shot, folks. It's a real challenge. But the more Christians speak out in America and the louder our voice becomes, the greater opportunity for God to bring a cleansing and revival to this nation. And I believe we need that. Do you? Amen? And the more our message is heard and accepted, the more lives are transformed, the more the enemy's going to fight against us. And if you don't believe that, you just look at what's happening in America with the anger and the hatred and the viciousness of people who are trying to protect abortion at, all co- at, at, any, at any term. That's right. I don't mind telling you how I feel about this. I just had a grandbaby born at 32 weeks. Eight weeks before his normal delivery date. At 32 weeks, he was brought into this world. And when I first saw him, he was a real baby. He was a living person. And in my opinion, anybody, I don't mind saying it, anybody who believes at 32 weeks that he was not a real baby, anybody believes he should just be exterminated at 32 weeks, and there's some people like that, that is an evil, evil person. It's horrible. And yet that's one of the shrines being built for us today. And as I said, there are many more of these evil shrines with spokesmen like Demetrius who are in reality ministers of a false religion. Let me tell you something. A religion has a message that it wants everybody to believe. And I make no apology for saying that I preach Jesus. And I want you to believe his message. And receive Him as your Savior because He is real and He can transform your life. He's not a silver statue. He is real. He can transform your life because He transformed my life. He transformed lives through the Apostle Paul. He is still transforming lives today. He wants to use each of us, each of His people, to take His message of love and grace and eternal life and transform other lives. But we have to decide who we're going to follow. Will we be a Paul or a Demetrius? Will we believe the truth or a lie? Will we help others build their lives and eternities on Christ Jesus? Or will we lead them away from God and help them build idols? Will we be temples of the Holy Spirit? Or will we have polluted temples used by the devil? Will we stand up for Jesus or will we follow the money? What will it be? Dr. Martin Niemöller was an outstanding German pastor during the time of Adolf Hitler's reign. Remember Hitler? destroyed, murdered six million Jews in, a get in, in Nazi concentration camps. Well, Dr. Martin Niemöller was a pastor during Hitler's time, and Niemöller was sent to prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before he was sent to prison, Niemöller had a 30-minute visit with Adolf Hitler. Hitler tried to persuade him 
to join his forces and turn from the stupidity of Christianity. For 30 minutes they discussed philosophy and the ideology of Nazism. Niemöller would not give up his living faith in Jesus, so Hitler sent him to prison. Years later, Martin Niemöller was released from prison. He testified he had visions that haunted him. He dreamed that he saw Hitler standing before the judgment seat of God. And Niemöller was standing off to the side watching the panorama of events. In his vision, he saw Christ turn to Hitler and say, What is your excuse for all your crimes? And in reply, Hitler says, No one told me the gospel. Niemöller said, I wasted 30 minutes arguing philosophy with Adolf Hitler. And I never told him about the love of Jesus Christ. He said, I'll never forget it. I'll never get over it. He missed an opportunity that could have changed the course of history. Demetrius said, I'm worried about losing my money. When he should have said, I'm worried about losing my soul and the souls of all these people in Ephesus. Paul had the message, the truth, the message that can transform a life, a city, a nation, and the world. And Paul said, read it with me. Read it. Let this be your statement of faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Would you bow with me? Who were you like? Paul, not ashamed of the gospel, filled with the Spirit of God, a temple of God used by the power of God and the Spirit of God, or Demetrius, leading people away from God, worshiping the idols of this world, following the money? Who are you like? When people hear your voice, do they hear a message of self or a message of salvation? Do they hear a message, great are the false gods of this world? Or do they hear a message of God's life and grace? What? Is your temple being used for? What idols need to come out of your temple to make it fit for for worshiping the Lord Jesus? Maybe you want to accept Jesus as your own Savior. You want His Holy Spirit to live within you. Why don't you pray and receive Him now? Just the words won't make a difference, but if it's from your heart, He will hear this prayer. Say, dear Jesus... I believe in you. I'm sorry that I've left you out of my life. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Please forgive me, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross and shed your blood to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, Jesus, I renounce all the false gods in my life and I accept you as my one true Savior. And Lord, and I commit my life to following you no matter what. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest prayer you can pray. If it was real, he has come into your life through his Holy Spirit. And your life will never be the same. Let him start taking more and more control of you. 
Make sure every day you're spending time with Jesus. And make sure you're in church worshiping Him because that's very important. And while we're singing, I'll be at the front. If you'd like to come down and talk with me, I'll, I'll pray for you. The cameras will be off. And I'll be glad to pray for you and help you in any way I can. Father, I love you and I thank you, Jesus, for what you've meant in my life and God today. It'll just be my prayer that some life has been touched by your Holy Spirit, that they would be more, that more of them would become more of yours, Lord. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing together, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Thy will.